Let us turn in God's holy word to the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 13. We'll pick up reading at verse 7, and we'll read through verse 19. Hebrews 13, verse 7 through 19. You can find it on page uh, 1384 in your pew Bible. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Let us hear the holy, infallible, inspired word of our God. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. May he also bless the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to Hebrews 13, we recognize that there is final counsel going on to uh, these Hebrew Christians living throughout the world, but maybe in a particular place. But uh, there was final counsel needed based on all of the teachings that have been set forth in this epistle to the Hebrews, especially those teachings of who Jesus is and how he is really the answer to what all of the Old Covenant and all of the Old Order in the Old Testament pointed to. Jesus is the one who fulfilled it and is now the only mediator set before us. And this is a challenge for the Hebrews to comprehend and to understand And obviously, the author is very perceptive, understanding the challenges of religion and church in the midst of a culture that may also be influenced by pagan religion and so on. And especially in those days and also today, I think we have many parallels, religion comes with an identity and is often influenced by culture, especially in way of business and especially big business. And it creates a lot of pressure to conform to particular religious systems. And that's, that was evident in these Hebrew Christians. Of course, their identity would be either in Judaism or now Christianity or other pagan religions. And, and for most of the other religions, especially Judaism, the Old Covenant way of worshiping God yet, according to the Old Testament, And even other pagan religions as well, with all of their sacrifices and rituals and altars, this became big business for those in their culture. And it did indeed create a lot of pressure for 
religious systems to conform to such a way and such a practice of religion. And yet, the author to Hebrews says, based on all that you know about who Jesus Christ is and what He's done and that He is the only mediator and we have access unto His throne of grace and He is in heaven, you don't need to go through all of these means. And you need counsel on how to conduct yourself religiously and ecclesiastically within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you need religious instruction. And so do we, quite frankly, today. We live also in a culture in North America. What makes this passage so important is it does address us directly today. Because as we live in a culture in North America, the first thing that impacts us is individualism. Individualism. Our identities caught up in our individual. And all of these underlying attitudes of individualism that basically are saying, I don't need the church. I don't need anyone else. All I need is the Lord. All I need is Jesus and everything else could just be pushed away. It's all distracting. And it's all just between me and God, as it were. You could even take this another step further in Reformed churches and consider how often churches are operating kind of like a a democracy. Where you have many individuals within a church and, and if you have the majority of the individuals in a church that want to go in such and such a direction, then that's the direction of the church. And so we evaluate each other and elders and deacons and pastors on whether they agree with me and my opinions and my feelings as an individual rather than whether we are willing to submit to God's Word. We can see how quickly it all becomes about subjective feelings and opinions. And that's the second thing that really impacts us in our culture is is subjectivism. Of my feelings. How often don't you go around and you, you listen to people and they say, I feel like this or I feel like that. Or I think this about that and I think that about that. And my opinion is this about that. And my opinion is, that about, is, is this about that. And never once do you hear anything really objective and grounded in God's holy word. It becomes very subjective. And everyone's opinion matters because it's about your feelings and your relationship to God because that's really all that counts. And so there's absolutely no church authority or ecclesiastical authority where this kind of individualism and subjectivism reigns. And that's why we need to hear those first words of Hebrews again and again and again. In times past, I spoke this way and I spoke through these means, but today I speak through My Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak through My Word. That's the objective truth. And when, that's, and when, when we're enlightened by the Holy Spirit to understand it and apply it faithfully, we have a firm foundation. We also, like like the early Christians, are impacted by business, aren't we? In our culture, we have this big business mentality. Either you're a big fish or you're a small fry. We have the corporate business world versus the mom and pop shops. The family businesses. And it impacts church. You, you would be surprised how many times I go and visit people and, and, and they don't know anything about Providence FRC and St. George and, and they'll ask, well, how many members do you have in your church? That's the first question. How big is your church? 
How, or they want to know more about the Free Reform Federation. Well, how many churches do you have within your federation? As if that somehow gives you more credence as a church by the numbers of members or the numbers of churches in a federation. We have bought into the business models and, uh, and, and, and that applies all kinds of pressures on churches to, to become more entertainment-focused in their ministries. Because, you know, if you have a small family-centered mom-and-pop shop type of church, it must be one of those lightweight churches, as it were, which really doesn't have an appeal in popularity and acceptance in our culture. <laughs> Let alone the media. I want to qualify here because not all media is bad and there's great Christian media. And sometimes it can be a rich blessing. But even Christian media today can be a real challenge for churches. Millions of Christians are spending half of their day sometimes listening to Christian radio, listening to internet messages, podcasts, and, and the list goes on. And I'm not saying that's not a blessing. It can be a rich blessing. But we have to use it properly and think it through how we apply that into our own lives. Because you have to recognize that many people are listening to a handful of Christian preachers and teachers in this world and oftentimes are listening to their best stuff that's been edited by a huge team of, of editors and, and it's packaged in a very appealing way to, to address your senses. And, and as you listen to it, I trust many times you're also very blessed by it. That's great. But when you start to listen to it and think, oh, you know, Deacon, Deacon Bob or Elder Joe or Pastor Sam, he, he could really benefit from hearing this message. And as you listen to it and, and you think, how am I going to pass it on? And, you, and, and finally you just break down and tell him, I, I just listen to this great message from Dr. Majestic. Here's the link. You should listen to it. And I hope every office bearer would say, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And yet we should never forget that often the message that this sends to an office bearer is to say to them, well, if you would be more like Dr. Majestic, then we would be able to really remember you as our spiritual leader and encourage you. I'm not saying that sometimes it's a real benefit to me to receive some of these things from you, especially especially receiving something uh, ahead of time. If someone's reading ahead, knows what passage you're going to be preaching on in the upcoming weeks and says, Pastor, you know, a while back I listened to something that just really was good on... on uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 20. And, and I would encourage you to listen to it as well. I was blessed by it, and, and I think it would be helpful for your sermon. I, I think that's, that's great. That's wonderful. But we have to think about how we say these things because we need to make sure that we never undermine the day-to-day -day normal church leaders the spiritual leaders that God has given you. And that's why we come to the words of our text in Hebrews 13. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the Word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And then in verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. He's saying, remember. And this word is used 
to call us to do something continually. To continue remembering. To continue to keep in mind. And it conveys this thought of remembering in a way of imitating and obeying, which comes out later, especially in our passage. And these are those who who are spiritual leaders who guide you in the Word of God, rule according to the Word of God, direct you in faith, point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who you are called to remember. And so I want to look at this final console with the theme, remember your spiritual leaders as servants of Jesus Christ in gospel service by submissive obedience and in prayer. And we'll break that statement down. Remember your spiritual leaders, first of all then, as servants of Jesus Christ. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the Word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the first thing the author to Hebrews wants to point out to us when calling us to remember those who rule over us, spiritually, is that they are servants of Jesus Christ. They come to serve not their own Word, but they come to serve the Word of God. God is speaking to us in these last times through Jesus Christ and through His servants. Those who spoke the Word of God to you. Not only that, but that speaking and speaking and communicating and conversing that Word to you, their faith also follows. They walk according to the Word of God. They are like those witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11 who walked according to the promises of God, who walked in the Word of God. And then he goes on to say, considering their outcome of their conduct. They lived well and they died well. They had a consistent manner of life, in other words. They they practiced self-denial when it was necessary. And some even unto martyrdom. He isn't saying that everyone and everyone who has spoken the Word of God to them is perfect by any means. But he's saying, consider that outcome of their conduct, that, that faithful walk. These are ultimately servants that Jesus has sent to serve you. And you should imitate them in as far as they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they will have all kinds of failures. But then what's so beautiful there is that connection to verse 8. And maybe you thought to yourself, it seems like verse 8 is kind of out of place because he's calling us to remember. And then all of a sudden he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he's doing there is to say, all of these witnesses, just like all the witnesses in the Old Testament, all your current witnesses and all the witnesses that will come need to point you to Jesus Christ because He is the One who never fails. He is an unchanging mediator. He is the One who I've set before you throughout Hebrews. And mostly throughout Hebrews, He's not set Jesus Christ before us in both names. He set Jesus Christ before us, but usually referring to Him as Jesus. But here, He gives both names. Jesus Christ, the personal name. And He is the mediator of our salvation. And His official name as that great office bearer who never ever failed. The One who never changes because His Word doesn't change. And His work doesn't change. What an encouragement to these Hebrew Christians. Leaders come and leaders go. Spiritual leaders come and spiritual leaders go. Sometimes spiritual leaders change and they change their minds. Sometimes spiritual leaders are failing, struggling, 
But it's easy to discern because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, He's the same today, and He will be the same forever. The cloud of witnesses that pointed forward in faith to Jesus and all the sacrificial system that pointed to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ contained the very same Gospel, the same Word, as when it came in the fullness of time and Christ came to die for sinners such as us. This Jesus Christ is the same today. But today He sits at the right hand of God and He shows His sacrifice openly that His Father might see and that we might see and believe. And to know that there at the right hand of God, He makes intercession for us. From there, from the right hand of God, He sends His Holy Spirit to us. And as He abides with us and in us, opening our eyes to the Scriptures, He even comes alongside us and sends servants, elders, deacons, pastors, missionaries, teachers, parents. Sunday school teachers, catechism teachers. He sends them to us to teach us, to guide us, to equip us, and to edify us. Remember these spiritual leaders who are servants of Jesus Christ today. For He is the same today and forever. He sets the focal point in eternity, in heaven, to show us that He is worthy of our praise and our worship today and forever as we submit and cast our crowns at His blessed feet. It's not about us. We are servants of Jesus Christ. What an encouragement for office bearers today. What an encouragement for all in spiritual leadership, no matter what kind of spiritual leadership it is. We don't have to serve two masters. There's only one Master. Jesus Christ. We don't have to try to satisfy two masters. We don't have to try to satisfy a church and Jesus. We don't have to try to satisfy the world and Jesus. We don't have to try to satisfy my own opinions in Jesus. We just need to satisfy Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That makes our job much more simple. And for those who are remembering your spiritual leaders, Christ is always the same. And so don't follow teaching that's opposed to Christ. The One who speaks in these last days. The world and the church as an institution seems to be always changing. Sometimes it isn't actually bad. Other times it is. But one thing always remains clear. remains clear in our mind that Jesus and His Word and His work, it never changes. So it's really not that hard to evaluate. It's not that hard to discern. And it's not that hard to follow spiritual leaders in as far as they follow Jesus Christ. Their works follow them. Their faith follows them. Because these are leaders of Jesus Christ in gospel service. He's warning here not to receive anyone or submit any, to anyone or imitate anyone who brings you any other gospel than the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as it's revealed in His Word. Because this is an exclusive gospel. Notice this. Um, verse 9. Do not be carried about by various and strange doctrines. Don't be tossed to and fro because of of, of this doctrine or that doctrine. That, that That may confuse you. 
You don't have to worry about your feelings and your works and your success and all of that as you try to fit that into the Gospel. It's, it's one Gospel. It's an, exclu- it's an exclusive Gospel. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And that doesn't focus on your feelings. It doesn't focus on your works. It doesn't focus on your success or your health or how much you have to give. It's about what Christ has done. It's about what Christ has given. And it's about what Christ and how Christ is successful as our mediator. There's not many roads to heaven. There's one way, one truth, one life, and that is in Jesus Christ. And it needs to be received, he says, by grace alone. Notice that as we continue in verse 9. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Here he's making a distinction between grace and and food. Well, we probably wonder what, what is he really talking about because we don't necessarily do that necessarily. We don't have sacrifices that we might eat or anything like that. But we are reminded that food here is referring to all of those legalistic sacrifices in, in, in the Old Testament. The, the sacrifices that, that were only called to direct them to Jesus Christ and that they were to receive the message of them by faith and grace. Because that food would not save them. That sacrifice would not save them. Because food is not nourishment for the soul. As Jesus even said, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so whether it was Jewish festival meals or pagan cultish meals or all of the Jewish regulations about food, none of them had any saving merit by those who were occupied with them. It's by grace alone. It's by the Gospel that's received by grace and through faith. We could even think about that today in the way of sacraments. And you wonder why uh, the author to Hebrews wouldn't set forth before us here the sacraments. But the truth of the matter is, as we hope to hear this afternoon, the sacraments do not give us grace. But they strengthen us by God's grace in faith. They do not give us faith. They do not save us. They don't have any saving merit. We could, be, we could be baptized every day of our life. We could be baptized on the very last day of our life. We could be baptized in an ocean rather than just sprinkled. But it would have no more effect than the baptism that's done once and for all. When we receive it by faith. And so we, we recognize that it's only by grace that we are saved. And that's really the whole point of the New Covenant application of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he goes on in verse 10-12 through 12 to highlight for us. We have this altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered outside the gate. And here we find the very same things happening. Pointing back to the Old Testament and showing how it's now fulfilled in Christ. And now in New Testament era, we look back to what Christ has done. Even in the Old Testament, he said, those who were able to serve at the old altar, like the Levites, they were able to eat of that food. But now in the New Testament, they have no right to eat of that food and think that they will have any kind of blessing from it. But he says this, he says, believers do have a right to eat at a new and a better altar. They have a right of fellowship with Jesus Christ. And to enjoy the fellowship 
in Christ. He's a far better high priest. And his spiritual food and altars surpass all the food and the altars of the old covenant. And that's why Jesus had to go outside the camp, outside the gates of Jerusalem, carrying his cross to Golgotha. That's why he had to be buried outside the city walls so that he might sanctify his people by his own blood. It's his blood that makes us holy, right with God. Again, that is profoundly encouraging to the servants of Jesus Christ, spiritual leaders. This one way to be saved is received by grace through faith. There's not many ways to get to Jesus. There's one way through repentance and faith. All a grace from God. There's only one way to be holy. And that's through Jesus' finished work. And the point of it is this. That if anyone brings a different Gospel, or anyone who complicates the simplicity of this Gospel, he says, anathema. As we find in Galatians, let him be accursed. We are called to serve as Jesus served. We are called to serve as Jesus instructs us to serve. No other way. Remember your leaders as servants of Jesus Christ who serve you the Gospel message. The power of God unto salvation. And who do so in teaching and equipping and edifying and correcting. Well, how do you respond to such servant leaders? Spiritual servant leaders. Remember your spiritual leaders. We see thirdly, by submissive obedience to those who serve faithfully. Notice verse 13. Therefore, always remember there. Now he's calling us to do something with this information. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp. You don't go to your pastor. You don't go to your elders. You don't go to your parents to be saved. You go to Jesus. You go forth to Jesus. Let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Since Jesus also had to go outside the city, a city is an emblem of a place of security, of protection and, and confidence. But he says, go outside to Jesus and put your confidence solely in Him and what He's done. Join Him outside the camp. You see, it was that which was disgraceful and defiled that had to go outside the camp in the Old Testament Sacrificial system. It couldn't be in the camp. It would be a disgrace. It would be a defilement. And so it had to go outside the camp. And so did Jesus Christ. And He goes outside the camp bearing His reproach or disgrace. Not too many of us want to be reproached or disgraced by people in our society, people in our families, people even in our own congregation. And yet, we are called to go outside to Jesus even though it may mean we have to bear His disgrace. 
That means we have to leave our security. It means we have to leave our comfort zone. And we have to go to Jesus, bearing our cross. And he says we have to do that. And many times it's going to mean we're going to suffer even as Jesus suffered. And yet by that suffering, we can be a light that shines forth in this world. Now, he doesn't do so and think, well, it's suffering and it's going to all end. But it needs to be with a perspective, he says, verse 14. In verse 14, he reminds us that we have no continuing city here, but we seek one to come. Yes, then we can suffer for Christ's sake. Because there's an everlasting city, a continuing city. That will never fade away. That's reserved for us in heaven. If our hope is in the city of man, in the city of this world, in the security of a big business model, popularity, acceptance, our feelings, our acceptance even within the church, it's it's not going to be a continuing city. But there's one city, an enduring city of God, there. To get there, we must go outside the camp and bear the reproach and the disgrace of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that He despised the shame and is now seated at the right hand of God, preparing a place for us in glory. I think it's good just to stop there for just a second and to ask ourselves whether we are looking for safety and security anywhere else than in Jesus Christ. Are we trying to find safety and security even within the walls of this church by being in the right church and in a covenant community and yet not know at all anything about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of the covenant. That we put all of our confidence in our works or maybe even our material or whatever it is. Anything that we want to find security and safety in rather than leaving it and going outside to Jesus Christ as our only hope, as our only confidence. But he doesn't end there either. We are called, he goes on to say, to offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. What is he he referring to in verse 15 when he says, Therefore by Him let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. He's saying we need to not sacrifice as they did in the Old Testament, but Rather, sacrifice our lips to confess His name and to live our lives as we find in Romans 12 within the bonds of His reasonable service. Because of what Christ has done, my attitude needs to change. My words need to change. And my very actions need to change because he says in verse 16 don't forget to do good and share god is pleased with these sorts of sacrifices blessing one another with the material needs that god has graced us with in order to share with others and then the author of hebrews brings it full circle doesn't he obey those who rule over you Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. These Hebrew Christians were not 
told to do so because their leaders were smarter than them. That they were better teachers than them. But rather because God has determined in His Word that it's through the preaching of the Gospel that He is pleased to grant salvation. It is the power of God to salvation. It is through the organization of church leaders as He sets forth for us in His Word in many of the epistles to Timothy and Titus and so on. That God is showing us that He is using human instruments to bring His divine Word. And as far as leaders teach in accordance to God's Holy Word, they are to be obeyed and to be taken seriously because of this sobering thought. They have to give an account for your soul. That is a sobering thought. Brother office bearers, I would say also to you as parents, spiritual leaders in your home. These are sobering words. And if you look at James chapter 3, my brethren, let not many of us, many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Emphasizes the sobriety of what we are called to do. Being a pastor, an elder, teacher, or you could even say parent, is no small thing. It involves the care of souls, spiritual lives that live for eternity. A doctor here on earth can provide you physical care for a short period of time. But we, as office bearers, are dealing with souls that live for eternity. I, I've, I know this is countercultural today, it really is. Because people will just jump from one church to another church to another church because they identify more with that spiritual leader or feel more fed or whatever by that spiritual leader. And the list goes on. Dear congregation, wherever, wherever you are, and I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 and his words identify with the office bearers of this church. Not perfectly, but I can feel it. And I know it because I've been around tables dealing with the matters of your souls with them. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 11, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's that's our goal. That's our goal for every member of the church that's sitting here in front of me today. Is that we would be betrothed to Christ. That we would be wed to Him, and to be finally married to Him in eternity. And to be being prepared as a chaste virgin, one who is perfect and holy and spotless. That's only going to come through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 11 to say, but I fear that you are being deceived from the simplicity that there is in Jesus Christ. There's others who have come and preached another Gospel. And you are putting up with it. His heart goes out to them. 
It's a desire for your well-being. Let your pastor and your elders and your deacons lead you. Just like parents, you desire the well-being of your children as you raise them in the fear of the Lord. And you want to do so with joy and not grief. Oh, what joy it gives when we see our children walking in the Lord. How much more joy it gives when pastor sees the congregation or elders see the congregation or deacons see their congregants walking in the ways of the Lord. You become a worker of joy. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of His love, any fellowship of the Spirit, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Yes, indeed, we sow in tears many times, as the psalmist says in Psalm 126. But as we go forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, we shall doubtless again come with rejoicing, bringing His sheaves with Him. There's joy in seeing sinners saved. There's joy in seeing Bible studies grow. Prayer meetings develop. Mutual encouragement and fellowship and unity and all the graces of the Holy Spirit evident and alive within the congregation. Oh, do all that you can, dear congregation. Please, do so. So that they may serve with joy and not with grief. Because that's going to be unprofitable to you. Remember them as servants of the Lord in obedience and submission in all things that are according to the Word of God. But also, and finally, very briefly, remember your spiritual leaders in prayer. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. I don't know anyone who can say they have confidence in themselves. That's not, what Paul, or that's not what the author to Hebrews is saying here. Nor was it what Paul was saying in Acts 24, verse 16. I myself always strive there, he says, to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. It's something we strive for. Something we long for. Something we covet your prayers in because of our desire to live honorably. Oh, dear congregation, I ask you again, pray for us. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray that the Lord would keep Satan far from the pastor's study as he's preparing sermons, that his words would come faithful according to the Word of God. No strange doctrines would be preached. And he, would, he and the elders would be faithful in living. That their living wouldn't compromise their preaching and their leadership. Faithful in ruling and pastoring the congregation that God has given us out of care and concern for their souls. Faithful in distribution of the gifts that God has blessed us with as a congregation and are given to Christ service. Pray for us. Pray for the teachers as they teach Sunday school. Elders as they teach catechism. Tuesday nights as catechism is taught again and confession of faith. Pray for God's blessing on it. Pray for the ministries of our congregation day by day. Remember, your spiritual leaders in prayer. There's a lot to digest here in this final council. Let me just restate the theme. Remember your spiritual leaders as servants of Jesus Christ in gospel service.
by submissive obedience and in prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we come to this portion of final counsel on spiritual leadership in the congregation, and we know that as leaders of the congregation, we fail in many ways. But Jesus Christ, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, you know our desire to live honorably. Our desire to, and our striving to have a good conscience, a clear conscience. We might serve according to your word as servants of Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant us as a congregation prayer and care for the souls of the flock here, but also of the flock to you on behalf of their leadership. Lord, we need your grace. We need your word to fill our minds. We need it to run through our veins. We need it to impact all aspects of our life so we might serve you faithfully. And so be pleased to grant that to your glory. And we would not serve with grief, but with joy. For serving with grief would not be profitable to any. That we may do so with great joy, seeing your harvest in your time. We pray for your blessing also as we begin Sunday school and catechism instruction this morning. Be pleased, O Lord, to bless it to the hearts and lives of our children and especially their spiritual well-being. Lord, may through the, the Bible stories and through the doctrines that are taught, may you be pleased to bring children to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of who you are, and that they would grow in knowledge of who you are, as stalwart sons and daughters in your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.